Welcome to Real Life. We're so happy that you came to join us this morning. Um, let's stand up and we will start the service. Yeah. 
Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments finally sodden white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Inside the garment instead of stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb?
what the waters I wish I could walk through But you don't give the answers As I cry out to you I will trust, I will trust, I will trust in you
I was right behind you like we discussed at the right time. <clears throat> it's good to be back. I've had a two-week hiatus. Uh, two weeks ago, the wife and I snuck off to Branson for a, a couple's retreat. It was fun. She couldn't keep her hands off me, but no, no surprise there, right? And then uh, last weekend I worked, so here I am. It's great to see everybody. Always puts a smile on my face to have everybody coming through the door. A few things on my mind today. Hopefully I can get them channeled in a short fashion and they all make sense and you can get something out of it. But we live in a time today where stuff is so easy. We've never had it easier as human beings. Uh, my friends and I, my friend and I and my dad, we put up a cedar fence um, Thursday and Friday. Uh, Thursday we set post. Friday we put up the pickets and runners. Um, so happy with the finished product. It's straight-ish. Um, mostly true and um, it's just so nice when you get done with a, a project you finish that feeling of creating something and building something on your own you're reminded of muscles that uh, you forgot about um, I'm, I'm 37 I was reminded I'm, I'm 37 but then I had a rare rare moment of humility uh, one of the following days and I thought how did men do this a uh, hundred years ago like we no shame in admitting, we, we dug with an auger. We did about five holes hand, hand dug and, and went and rented an auger. Uh, we used a framing gun to drive the pickets. A uh, hundred years ago, they're hand digging holes, hand driving nails. They don't get to saddle up in their Ford F-150 and go to a, a Lowe's to pick up the lumber. They got to chop it out of the woods with their own hand. Um, and uh, where was I? Oh yeah, this is the problem when you try and mix so many messages. But we have things so good today. We don't have to suffer to get our food. We don't have to uh, worry about our children dying from syphilis or whatever diseases were on the Oregon Trail. Uh, you all know the video game on the computer, maybe. Um, abortions are on the decline. Kids in two-parent families are on the incline. Um, divorces are on the decline. I don't know if I already hit hit that one as well. But we live in such a good time and we wouldn't know it. Why? Because of hate and fear. 330 million people in this country and we all want each of us to act and think and look the same as the next one. We are baffled when one of those 330 million doesn't think the exact same as us. And we're not going to change our minds by hating or, or um, fearing our, our fellow countrymen. So, um, Jesus changed the world and hate and fear was not in his message. The blood of Christ was about loving your enemies and not hating or fearing them. So Nancy Pelosi, here we're taking another U-turn here, um, not my favorite politician, but she's not the problem. Our problem is our hate and fear of Nancy Pelosi. And if you're in a blue state, the problem is not Mitch McConnell, it's your hate and fear of Mitch McConnell. So when Christ went to the cross, we put him there, we killed him, our sins brought him to the cross, but yet he still loved us. And the least we can do is love our enemies. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for real life. Thank you for this band. Thank you for everybody that makes today possible where we can come and worship you. Thank you, God, for sending your son to die for us. Um, we just pray that our strength, our faith is strengthened every day, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
And on Tuesday, while we were there, it was beautiful. It was 75 degrees. It was what we like spent time outside. Uh, I did some reading out there. Andrea and Trent spent some time out there hanging out. It was wonderful. We were going to head back home on Wednesday morning, and we woke up to 10 inches of snow in the Amarillo and like blizzard conditions. We didn't end up leaving her house until almost noon. And uh, for the first couple hours of that drive, we were driving through this crazy snow that, that included a couple times where it was just near whiteout conditions. Like you couldn't really see the road, you couldn't tell what was where. Uh, it was very kind of crazy. For the middle of March in Texas, like, that is not supposed to happen. What is going on? What is going on? Um, that's pretty scary a, a couple times. But the storms that we face in, in nature, tornadoes and hurricanes and snowstorms and blizzards and all that kind of stuff, uh, they aren't the only scary storms in our lives. Just this um, last week, even with the trip down to Texas. I've counseled individuals in the middle of storms caused by addiction. I've counseled uh, some storms, some through storms that have been built from mental illness and, and even some in the storm of relational challenges. But through it all, I've been reminded of one important truth. And that is that God is God of our calm and our chaos. God is God of our calm and our chaos. The God that you're thanking when your life is calm and you're at peace and your guy is in the White House and everything is going just the way you want it to and your, your house uh, uh, value is going up and your 401k investments are going up. That same God is the God that you're going to be angry with when your life is in chaos and your guy isn't in the White House. And your house is decreasing in value. And your 401k isn't gaining more money. It's the same God in both of those situations. That was a lesson that the disciples, Jesus' closest followers, had to learn. And so early in Matthew's biography of Jesus' life, he records Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's the greatest single body of teaching and preaching that Jesus ever did. He gave it very early in his ministry. And in the days that followed this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, the, the disciples were still wrestling, still trying to process all of this teaching that Jesus had revealed during that time. And after that sermon, things really started happening in Jesus' ministry. What Matthew records, just in chapter 8 alone, it, it starts out with Jesus healing a man with leprosy. A very contagious skin disease. In fact, the Jews in the Jewish law were commanded um, not to go near a person with leprosy. They were not supposed to touch an unclean person with leprosy. And if you were a leper, you were commanded by God to warn anybody that you got within 16 feet of to make sure that they didn't get any closer to you than that. And yet Jesus goes right, he breaks those laws, he goes right to this man who has leprosy, he touches him, and he brings healing. And then Jesus heals a paralyzed man. So uh, the leper he goes and touches, and then he heals a paralyzed man, never even having seen him. The centurion comes and says, um, my, my servant is paralyzed and he needs help, and, and, and Jesus says, go, 
he's healed. He can never even see. He's never even in the same room, never even in the same town with a guy. Jesus then goes to Peter's house, one of his disciples, and Peter's mom is there. Uh, they didn't have cell phones, so they couldn't call, so they show up and find out that Peter's mom has a debilitating fever, and she's in bed, and they don't know whether she's going to make it or not. And it just says that Jesus goes up, and he touches her, and she gets up, and she's completely healed. Jesus then heals a bunch of people who are suffering with demons and illness. There's a whole mess of them. Like they found out he was in town, he healed Peter's mom, and then all of these people come to be healed. And then the next day, after all of this stuff happened, the next day, Jesus and the disciples get into a boat to sail across the Sea of Galilee. And while they were out in the middle of the sea, a storm came up. So here's what um, Matthew says. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. Now, that was a pretty normal thing for the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee sits down in the middle of mountains kind of all around, and so the wind will pick up very quickly and come down those hills, and storms uh, are caused really quickly. And so a great storm came on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he, Jesus, was asleep. And the disciples went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Now, I have never been in a storm at sea, and I really don't even like to watch movies of storms at, at sea, um, or really anything that happens out there. I have not seen Titanic I don't care how good you think it is. I will not see Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> What's the story? The boat goes out. The boat sinks. Everybody dies. Okay. What, what, I get it. I, I, I read the book when I was a kid. I was told about it. Like, I'm not going to see the movie. But I did go deep sea fishing in Oregon um, right after Andrea and I got, got married. It was kind of an engagement present. And so uh, Dwayne and I and my dad went out on this fishing boat. And um, we didn't even get all that far, right? I mean, we got far enough that you couldn't see the land anymore, which is kind of freaky if you've ever been in that position. But at one point as we were um, going out to the location we were going to fish in, you have to get through kind of the, the chop. Like before you get out in the calmer waters, you have to go through a little bit of rough water. And so I remember um, as the boat would hit the waves, and they weren't even really big waves, but the boat would hit, hit the waves and you got to kind of steer into them, right? So the boat doesn't go over. And, and, and as it would go down and the waves would kind of swell on either side, all you could see is water. Now, if, you, if you're a land lover like me, you, you've never been there, that's a little bit uh, freaky. It's a little unnerving um, to see all this water and just to be out in the middle of nowhere and just like uh, anything could happen and I would just like, I can't tread water that long, right? I mean, it just doesn't happen. Now, I was a bit unnerved, but, but that unnerved, that anxious feeling does not begin to express the panic that the disciples must have felt in the storm that they were in. 
Now at least four of the disciples, Peter and his brother Andrew, James and his brother John, the four of them were actually in business together before Jesus came along, and they had a fishing company along with James and John's dad. And so they were professional fishermen. And my guess is that many, probably not all, but many of the 12 disciples had probably at least spent time out on the Sea of Galilee at some point or another. And if they hadn't been out on the Sea of Galilee, they certainly knew the stories of the storms that would come up, and they probably all had at least one friend or family member who had died in one such storm. Like they didn't have the things that we have today to protect them. Like Adam was talking about in the com communion talk. Like times have really changed for uh, personal protection if you're out in the middle of the ocean. And so this rapid storm pops up uh, unexpectedly. And the disciples are in the boat. It's probably um, afternoon or nighttime. It's dark. There's a lot of storm things going on around them. And, and they believed that they were going to die. But this storm is not the only storm that was going through the disciples' minds. Like in the midst of this storm, I, I guarantee you that they were thinking about some other things. See, for Jewish people, water represented the unknown. It represented chaos, and, and even at times it represented evil. The sea was something that seemed to stand as a threat to the reign of God. And, and so there's a, a, a quote I, I want to read to you. Uh, Alan Brown is the guy who wrote this in a, in a blog post. He said, Unformed, unfilled, and dark, the waters submerged everything until the heavenly sovereign established their boundaries. And he's talking about Genesis chapter 1, the first few verses here, where God, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the deep, and they were, they were everywhere. They took over everything. And he goes on to say, The waters broke their boundaries in Noah's day, overwhelming the world that rebelled against God's rule. And, and, and so the, the water that was there in the beginning, it, it broke out, right? And it covered everything once again. And then later in Exodus, as Israel fled from Pharaoh's tyranny, the Red Sea trapped the Israelites, and then the waters flooded back to swamp Pharaoh's armies after the Israelites got, got through. And so for the Jewish people, when they talked about water, this was a really, really scary moment. So the disciples were just afraid. <laughs> Right? Like they were terrified. They thought their life was over and this storm had come up and they were remembering all the storms that they had learned about when they were growing up and they were in a synagogue, in a Torah school. And, and there was a lot of fear that was in this moment. And, and so just try and, and, and picture this. Now we're in Kansas, right? I realize we're in the, we're in the middle of land. Um, but just try and picture for a moment. You're in a boat, not a cruise ship of today, but you're in a small fishing boat. That, that boat has low sides on it in order to get the nets in and out easier. You're in the middle of a storm in this small fishing boat with sides that are not very high. And so you do all of the things that you've been taught and trained to do when a storm comes up on the sea of Galilee. You, you turn the boat 
into the wave, right? Because if you're sideways in there, the wave's going to come up, the boat is going to capsize. So you do everything you can to adjust the rudder so you're heading into, into the waves and you take down the sail and, and then you're, you're bailing water just as fast as you can with whatever you, you can find. And there's lightning and there's thunder and there's this crazy storm that's come up and it just seems like the world is going to end and you think you might actually die in this moment. And as everybody's kind of in the middle of this chaos, you look to the back of the boat. And getting soaked, just like everybody else, is the guy who you trusted as the Messiah. And he's asleep in the middle of the storm. With waves crashing over the side of the boat, the boat being pitched back and forth and, and tossed around, and then somehow, some way, unexplainably, he's there in the back, curled up with a pillow, sound asleep. And you begin to panic. And so you've, you've put it off as, as long as possible, right? You've done everything you know how to do. You've adjusted the, 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 the boat. You've taken down the sail. You've pitched the water out. You've done everything you know how to do. And, and then you think in your mind, how can this guy be asleep through this? Doesn't he care that, that we're drowning, that there's a storm, that, that the boat's getting swamped? Doesn't he care that, that this is the end for us? Like he's soaking wet how can he sleep? That's pretty weird. I thought when we signed up to follow Jesus that he was going to make sure that we had smooth sailing, not the storms that we're facing now. Like, we've been helping Jesus, right? He wanted to go across the sea. We got in the boat. We helped him. We're following him. We're doing what he wants us to do. How can this be happening? Doesn't he care about us? Doesn't he care that we're not going to live through this? I've been in a lot of hospitals over the last 21 years as a pastor. And I've sat with a lot of people in waiting rooms and I've listened to what the doctors have to say and I've, I've been there as a, as a pastor, I've, I've, I've been in the hospital as a, a son waiting for surgery for my uh, father, I've been there as a friend, I've been there as a father myself with my kids in the hospital, I, I know those moments, I've been in those positions of fear. And, and I've learned a couple things in all of those hospital visits. But the first thing I learned is that not all doctors get into the profession of being a doctor because they're good with people. <laughs> Some of them just don't know how to communicate with people. And, and in those moments, I tell myself, this person is just so smart that they don't know how to communicate with a normal person. Like you probably know somebody um, like that. DJ's a, a little bit like that, uh, engineer guy. <laughs> Not a communicator. Like, like, you know, it's just, it's just different, right? When you're smart, it's just different. And those guys are smart. And sometimes it's just like, I don't get it. But the other thing that, that I've learned is, is this, and this is the one I want you to pay attention to. Don't just listen to what the doctor is saying. Watch how they're acting. And here's why. This emergency or the reason that you're in the hospital and whatever it is you're going through, this may be the first time that you've been there, that you've gone through this with yourself or with somebody else. 
but it is not the first time for the doctors and, and nurses. And the situation may be very serious, but if they are calm, you can be calm. Like, doctors don't want to lose patients. That's, it doesn't look good on a resume, right? They want to help us. They want us to live. And, and so if they start getting nervous and anxious, that's when you can start getting nervous and anxious. So don't see their calmness as a lack of caring or a lack of empathy, but as an air of confidence and, and then take some hope in that. Like, they will probably never work as fast as you would want them to. Like, we all want, like, somebody's in the hospital that we love. I want this done now. I want it done quick. Why are you waiting? Get after it. But when they do start working quickly, that's the cue for you to start praying more. So when I went into the doctor uh, after being in the ER uh, overnight uh, many years ago, and uh, I just couldn't swallow, my throat hurt, it felt like it was kind of closing up, and so I told Andrew, I'm like, I'm not breathing very well, and I went to the ER uh, here in El Dorado, and um, they, they got me in, and they, they never once checked my throat. They never once talked about that. Like, I'm barely able to talk to them. They're asking me questions. I can't hardly talk. But they took my pulse. And then the triage nurse's eyes got really big. And, and, and he was like, uh, you need a bed. And he said, Do, should I bring you a wheelchair? <laughs> like, my throat hurts, idiot. <laughs> Not my feet. Like, I can walk just fine. I don't know what you're doing. And I remember they moved us into one of the ER rooms there, and they put me in the bed, and the first thing they did was put the oxygen on. And as soon as the nurse walked out of the room, I looked at Andrea, and I said, this is bad. They don't put oxygen on you unless there's a problem. And uh, sure enough, the guy came in, and there's a problem with your heart. And I didn't think it was that serious. So I, the next day, I, I was there at the hospital for three hours. And again, never checked the throat. I went home. He said, you need to schedule an appointment with your doctor. I go into the family doctor, and it's um, right after noon, I think. And I'm sitting in the referral room, and they're trying to get me in with a cardiologist, this is when I knew it was serious. The first part of that conversation that lasted probably 30 minutes, uh, the cardiology place says, we have a six-week waiting list. By the time they got off the phone and she had faxed my, uh, my EKG and my sonogram stuff to the cardiology department, uh, they said, can he be here at 4.30? That's when I started getting nervous. When it, gets, uh, when it gets quick, when they start speeding things up, that's when it's time to get nervous. The, the, so the point of this story is not how scared the disciples were, but how content Jesus was. Like he was in the same storm, right? The waves are crashing over. He's getting wet like everybody else. He's in the midst of that storm just with the disciples. He shared their same fate, yet he handled that completely differently than they did. And that's what you can hold on to in the midst of a storm. Because Jesus isn't scared by your storm. 
If you're living um, a lie today, I'm pretty sure you would much rather face a tornado than that truth coming out. If you're, if you're struggling with an addiction today, you'd probably rather face the disappointment of your family than the detox process. Like Nobody looks forward to difficult conversations. The fear of rejection is real. Wondering if you're going to be accepted or rejected because of your thoughts or your actions or your attitudes. That's an open door for Satan to bring a storm of doubt and guilt and fear and failure into your life. And so when we're in those moments, right, we always think the absolute worst of everybody else and in every situation. And, and so we decide, all right, it's, it's easier just to be silent than to face the blank stares or the stigma of having someone know who you really are. The disciples had seen Jesus heal a leper. They'd seen him cure a fever and cast out demons and heal a whole bunch of people from a whole bunch of different things. They'd heard him preach and teach and reveal things to them from Scripture that, that they never even would have thought of or come to those conclusions themselves about God, about his kingdom, about how to, how to live out his kingdom call in their daily lives. And so the disciples, in the midst of that storm, they trusted Jesus spiritually, but they hadn't learned to trust him physically yet. And so Jesus asks them, why are you afraid? And I think the answer is pretty obvious, right? <laughs> Like, why would you even ask that? Do you not know what's going on? We're in the middle of a storm, and we're about to die. That's why we're afraid. That's what's going on. Open your eyes. Let me give you a little um, empathetic hack for when you're dealing with somebody in the midst of a storm in their life for, for whatever ever reason. Um, here's just like, just keep this in the back of your mind whenever there's stuff going on. Uh, everybody always thinks their storm is the worst storm. Right? That doesn't, matter, doesn't matter what it is. It may seem very simple or, or uh, a very simple thing to us, but to that person in the midst of that storm... Like it's the end. Like everything is going to change. Everything's going to blow up. This is the worst possible thing that could happen. And, and we need to recognize that that's okay. Like we don't know about things until we experience them, until we go through them. And so everybody always thinks their storm is the worst. You're allowed to be afraid at first. But that isn't where God wants you to live. And so the disciples, they thought this was the worst storm. This was going to be the end of their lives. And, and I think the disciples were afraid to die. They thought their lives were, were physically over, that the water was pouring into the boat, the waves were getting higher, and, and any minute they thought the boat would capsize, something would happen, they would lose their lives. But that meant something more. 
It meant that Jesus wasn't the Messiah that they thought he was. That they had conditions on their faith, right? If, if Jesus would let me die, then he must, not be, he must not be the God that I thought he was. If he'd allow this storm to, to come up on the sea, when, when we're trying to do the right thing, we're trying to help him, we're trying to follow him, then he's not the Messiah that we thought he was. And so the disciples were letting their expectations of Jesus crowd out their faith in Jesus. Have you ever done that? God, why are you taking me through? Like, I'm doing what you want me to do. Why is this storm coming in my life? If you would allow this storm in my life, you must not be the God that I thought you were. Jesus would later say in John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. Like for, for your whole lives and for thousands of years, the Jewish people have put their hope and their faith and their trust in God. And if you would believe in God that way, here I am in the flesh, believe in me in that same way. But maybe today your fear is not um, being afraid to die. Maybe the, the fear that you're facing today might be worse than death, and, and that is that the truth will come out. Maybe you've been keeping a secret in your life and, and, and you're worried that people won't love you anymore if they find out the truth. You think you might be rejected or neglected. If she finds out, she's, she's going to be mad and might leave me instead of help me. If he finds out, he might stop loving me and, and, and I don't know if I could take that. We always expect the worst possible outcome in every situation and every storm that we face because that's how Satan keeps us quiet. Because the worst outcome that we can come up with in, in our mind, the quieter we're going to be in the moment. But God wants us to be honest. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Maybe you're not afraid of death. Maybe you're not afraid of the truth coming out. Maybe what you're afraid of is um, change. That things might change in your relationship, in your life, in, in your job, in your standing, in your financial position. We can get pretty comfortable with dysfunction in, in our lives. We, we get pretty comfortable, not just when things are good and when life is at peace, but we can get pretty comfortable with chaos and dysfunction in relationships and things. And, and we can say that we, we want to change. We can make those kind of verbal uh, announcements like, I'm okay with, I'm okay if this changes. But, but deep down, we're only saying that in an attempt to keep that change from actually happening. Like if I just say that I'm willing to change, maybe that's enough for that person, that situation, and then I won't have to actually change. Even when the change might be good for us, it might lead to better things, we still fear it and fight it. We fear handling adversity without vice. 
And so we don't want to give up our addiction because, man, if stress comes or things change or something happens, I, I won't have this to go back to. And so I've got to keep just a little bit of it because, because that's just, that's how I calm and that's how I get through the day. So I don't want that to change. We fear the balance of power changing in relationships or work or things. We fear, we, uh, we fear what we might lose and sometimes what we might keep if change comes. This is what Jesus spoke about when he said this, people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. That sounds like somebody who doesn't want to change, right? No, 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 no. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I'm not listening. I'm not looking. I can't, I can't hear you. This is just it. Jesus goes on to say, look, otherwise, if they would open their eyes and their ears, otherwise they might see and hear and understand with their hearts and turn. That's another word for change, right? And then he says, at that point, I will heal them. The disciples had to come to terms with who Jesus really was. They had seen him be the king of disease, that the king over death, the king over disabilities, the king over demons, they needed to know that he also was the king over the material as well as king over the eternal. That he was king of, of both things. And, and this is his statement literally in, in Matthew 8. He says, he says, if you go back to the original language, he says the words he uses are this. Why are you being cowardly? The, the word that's translated fearful, or why are you afraid, is the word used for somebody being cowardly in their life. Why are you being cowardly is the question. And then his statement is little faith. That's a translation of, of that word that, that we, we translate a whole kind of sentence because we want it to make sense in English. Oh, you of little faith. Jesus really just said, little faith. Why are you afraid? Little faith. There are five times in the book of Matthew where Jesus uses the term little faith with the disciples, that same word. Four of those times happened before chapter 16. And you go, what's the big deal with chapter 16? Well, chapter 16 in Matthew is where Jesus asked the disciples point blank, who do you believe that I am? Up until that point, he has not asked them. All kinds of people everywhere have come to Jesus. Is, is this Elijah? Is this the is this the promise where this John the Baptist come back from the dead? Is this, a, is this just a prophet? Is he just a good man? Is he just a moral teacher? They've had all kinds of ideas, but Jesus has never asked the disciples, who do you believe me to be? And it's in chapter 16 where, where Peter says, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. And we talked about this several weeks ago, early on in the year, but the word Christ or Messiah means king, God's anointed king. And, and so Peter is saying, look, Jesus, I believe that you're the king of God's kingdom. And because you're the king, I'm going to follow you. Right? This is the first time that the disciples state their faith in Jesus, their belief and their allegiance to Jesus as God's king. 
Only one time after chapter 16 does this term, little faith, uh, get used. And it's in the very next chapter, Matthew chapter 17. Peter, James, and John go up on a mountain with Jesus, and while he's there, he's transfigured. And so in his bodily form, he takes on the glory that he had with God in in heaven. And so the Bible basically just says that he began to glow. His clothes and his body and everything began to glow like the sun. They couldn't look at it. And then Moses and Elijah appear, and the three of them are hanging out, and they're talking, and it's this amazing moment where the presence of God is is made in that moment to earthly man. And it's incredible. It's never happened before. And then Jesus and Peter, James, and John, they come down from the mountain, and the other nine disciples are there, and they've been trying to cast the demon out of a man's son, and they've been unsuccessful at doing it. And Jesus comes down and he, he casts the demon out and it's no big deal for him. And then they come to him, the nine disciples come to him and they say, Jesus, why couldn't we drive out this demon? Like it was so easy for you, why couldn't we do it? And that's the fifth time that he says, little faith. But it's also right here in Matthew chapter 17. Jesus says, little faith. And then he immediately goes on to say, but look, If you have faith like a mustard seed, one of the tiniest seeds that exists, you could tell a mountain to move and it would move. And so it seems like Jesus is criticizing them on one hand for having little faith and then holding up little faith as the example. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. How can you be in trouble for having little faith and be encouraged to have little faith at the same time. And and that's because we just don't understand the language and what was going on in, in the moment. The mustard seed doesn't have faith in itself. See, a mustard seed without soil and water and sun becomes nothing. A mustard seed by itself on the ground will not produce anything, cannot do anything, cannot provide anything. But if that mustard seed gets immersed in the soil and it gets watered, and when it begins to sprout, if the sun shines on it, that mustard seed becomes, as Jesus says in the parable, one of the largest plants in the garden, so big that even birds can come and nest in its branches. And so Jesus isn't saying you need to have little faith. He's saying you need to have faith like a mustard seed, which is not about the size of the seed. It's about the things that the seed has its faith or trust in. The the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And when our faith is in God, then we can accomplish things that we never thought we could accomplish before. Then we can accomplish big things. But but the disciples had little faith. And their little faith, not their mustard seed faith, their little faith that God could do incredible things through them had betrayed their lack of trust in Jesus as God's anointed king and the king of all things. So what Jesus was saying, he was just kind of shaking his head and going, little faith, like you still don't understand who I am and what I can do. There's more to me. Like you saw me heal the leper, heal the paralyzed man, bring 
Peter's mom back from the brink of, of death. You saw me cast out demons like I'm king of all of these things. How come you can't trust me in this storm? Look at the next verse in Matthew 8. Jesus, remember, he stood up and rebuked the wind and the waves and they calmed and, and the disciples marveled. They were amazed. And they said, what sort of man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him. Well, he's not a man. (laughs) That's the problem, and that's where their little faith comes in. He's not a man. He's the Son of God and the King of Kings. And so the question today, this whole series is questions from Jesus. The question today is, why are you afraid today? What is it that's causing you fear today? What's happening in your life that you just haven't been able to trust God with? Like you want to, you know you should, but you're just holding back. What is it that you're just, you're like, ah, I'm just not sure. See, part of the reason we're afraid to let go and, and, and let God, as the saying goes, afraid, part of the reason we're afraid to, to let God handle things is because they might not turn out the way we expect them to. Like, right, we want to know how the situation is going to turn out before we get there. And so if God would just come down and say, look, if you would tell the truth, everything would work out and and you wouldn't be punished and you don't need to worry about it. If God would come down and just say, look, if you gave up that addiction, you'd be able to handle the things that come into your life because I'd give you the strength to handle them. Um, that would be a different story for us. But God doesn't do that, right? He, he just says this, look, I will be with you always to the very end. And, and so no matter what you go through, no matter what storm you're facing in life, like Jesus is there in the boat with you. He's going through the same storm with you. He's there. He's ready to help. And the fact that he hasn't gotten up and gotten involved means you're going to make it. But you got to trust that Jesus isn't just the God of time. He's the God of today. And he isn't just the God of eternity. He's the God of the earthly. And he's not just the God of the afterlife. He's the God of this life. And so he wants you to come clean. He wants you to drop the addiction. He wants you to accept the change because Jesus is with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you, but you've got to put your trust in him. Look, if you can't trust God in your daily life, How can he really be trusted with your eternal life? You ever thought of that? We got got churches full of Christians who who go, I believe that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven because some preacher told me if I pray this prayer, all my sins are forgiven and God's got to let me in. But then we don't trust him in the day-to-day things that come along. If you don't really trust him, for your eternal life, why would you trust him with your daily life? 
This relationship that we, that we have with Jesus, that we, that we have with God through Jesus, it's not, a, 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 it's not an either or. It's not just about our eternal life and, and salvation so that we can like check the box, right? And we can get to go to heaven. And when we get to the pearly gates and St. Peter, he's he, like, like, no, our, my name is there. You've got to let me in. By the way, that's not going to happen, right? You know? The pearly gates and St. Peter's not real, but that's what we say, what we're familiar with. That's not the way it's going to happen. With God, it's both and. We have to trust Him with our eternal life and we have to trust Him in our day-to-day life. That's what Jesus said. He said, there are going to be people who come to me and they say, Jesus, didn't we cast out demons in your name? And didn't we heal in your name? And didn't we do all these things in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because they trusted him for their eternal life, but they didn't trust him in their earthly life. Storms are scary. But God's not scared of your storm. And so the truth today is that Jesus is the God of your storm. And and he's the God in your storm so that he can see you through your storm. That's what Jesus wants to be for you. That's what he wants to accomplish in your life. That's what he wants is your trust, your hope in him alone. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for being in the boat with us in the midst of the storm. And for those today going through storms in their life, relational storms or emotional storms, financial storms, mental health storms, storms that deal with addiction God, I pray that they would know your presence. Not just that they would feel your presence, but they would know your presence because that's what you said. You will never leave us or forsake us. And so God, would we have trust in you to follow you and to do the things that you've called us to, to confess our sins one to another, that we might be free and we might find healing and we might find hope in those moments. And God, when when we're the one that's receiving that confession, when we're being told those things, would we respond, as your word says, by praying for that person instead of just condemning them? Father God, we want to be a, a people that don't just trust you for the eternal, but trust you in the earthly that don't just have the, the, the hope or the faith that, that be, because we got dunked or because we said a prayer that, that, that we're guaranteed the afterlife, but that every day in this life we would live for you, that we'd follow you and that we'd trust you even in the midst of the storm because God, you're the same God in our calm as in our chaos. You never change You're not like shifting shadows. You are always there. You are that firm foundation for our souls. And would we trust 
in you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you a couple of things. Next Sunday, the question that we're going to be dealing with is this. Jesus asked the demon-possessed man, what is your name? And so we're going to talk about who we believe ourselves to be and, and who we should know that we are. And so that should be really fun. I hope you'll join us uh, next Sunday for that. Um, also, again, Easter services, 9 and 11 a.m. on April 4th, Easter Sunday, with the Easter egg hunt in between. So by the way, we need eggs, and we need lots of eggs, and we need lots of candy, individually wrapped candy, um, and that would be awesome. So if the next couple weeks, if God leads you and you have the ability, bring those things in and um, that would be great. I, I think right now we have about a thousand um, of those things and unless some more came in um, today. I think the last time we did an Easter egg hunt in 2019, we had six or seven thousand. So we've got a ways to go. So if you can help with that, um, please help with that. Also, if you have the financial ability, we would love to provide a little more substantial Easter egg hunt than we have in the past. Uh, let's face it, Easter um, last year, as, as far as Easter egg hunts and things, kind of a downer for kids, right? There were no Easter egg hunts. They couldn't do any of that stuff. And so we want to really uh, have a good time with our kids this year and, and provide some cool things for them. So we'd like to uh, offer, we'd like to have some more substantial prizes this year uh, for kids. And so what we do in the midst of the candy eggs, we put some slips of paper and uh, if you find that egg that has the paper in it, you can turn that in for different kinds of prizes. And so we'd like to maybe uh, give away some bikes this year, different size bikes for the three different age groups that we're going to do. Um, I, man, I think it would be cool if we could maybe give away a, a drone. They're not as expensive as you think. Uh, maybe some sports equipment, uh, whatever. Besides just the little things, maybe have a few bigger things in there as well. And so if you have the ability to give financially to that. Um, please do that. If you, if you want to um, cash or check, just write Easter on it and we'll uh, make sure it goes to that. Um, or uh, if you give online, I think there's a memo section online and you can write Easter in your online gift as well and that will go there. Um, also on Easter Sunday, April 4th, we need about four to six adults that can help uh, corral the kids for the Easter egg hunt in between the services. We got a short amount of time. We got to fit all that in. It's going to be tough, but we've got to make it happen so that we can be back here for church at 11. So if you'd like to help with uh, that, you can email her at amber at reallifecc.us um, or I I'm just going to make an executive decision. You can talk to Deanna. Raise your hand, Deanna. Uh, hi, uh, Deanna, you can talk to Deanna and Deanna will get your name down and put you in contact with Amber if you can help uh, that on Easter um, Sunday. Also, you can see Deanna. Um, we have a few of the uh, One God t-shirts. I think there's three t-shirts back there. I don't know the sizes. Um, I think they're smaller, but if you want one of those, see Deanna and we'll get you one of those. I think uh, $15 for that. Um, Today, Amber is uh, on a well-deserved vacation down in Texas. Hopefully, she won't get 10 inches of snow tomorrow when she um, comes home. But anyway, hope you're having a good time, Amber. Uh, Easter stuff. All right. I love you. That's it. Uh, go away. Boom. 
Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.